Undoubtedly, many of us have attended a wedding ceremony or been a part of one, but in all of those times, I bet there was one word missing from those ceremonies. In fact, this word had been, has been removed from marriage vows for much of the 20 and 21st century. I believe you'd be hard-pressed to find this one word in any sermon, or sermon, the marriage ceremony, or in the marriage vows themselves. This one word usually shows up before the married couple gives their vows, reads, repeats after the minister. They're asked a series of questions, which we famously know they respond, I do or I will. That one word often came after the word love, and it was the spouse, soon to be, the bride, who would say that I will love and obey. Well, you can do a quick search, or you can listen the next wedding ceremony you go to, and I guarantee you that word obey will be nowhere found in that service. Christian marriage or otherwise, the word obey in our culture is a word to be avoided. We live in the age of liberation. We live in the age of freedom, the age of autonomy and individuality. We live in an age in which oppression has been overcome. And we as Christians are seen as backwards and archaic in our exhortation to wives and their submission to husbands. Friends, marriage is the bedrock of human civilization. It is the foundation of human civilization. Without marriage and the family, you do not have civilization but chaos. And marriage has been, if you know your Bible well, under attack, not in recent years, but since the fall of man. You'll be reminded in Genesis 3 and verse 16 when God is giving the curses to woman and to, to man, to Adam and to Eve. He says in the midst of that, because of your sin, your marriage will be a mess. In recent years, we have seen a renewed attack on marriage and the family. In the context of Western civilization, Andreas Kostenberg, in his book on family and marriage, writes this helpfully. For the first time in its history, Western civilization is confronted with the need to define the terms marriage and family. What until now has been considered a normal family made up of a father, a mother, and a number of children has in recent years begun to be viewed as one among several options. While some have seen the attack upon traditional marriage, as Christians, what we are concerned is biblical marriage. 
So to be clear here this morning, I, I think it would be helpful for you right now to be very clear the way culture uses, and particularly conservative culture, uses the word traditional marriage. You'll hear that used in politics, in social settings, in conservative social settings, about returning to traditional marriage values. Friend, I want to caution you this morning that what we're concerned about this morning is returning to biblical values on marriage. Here's what I mean. Traditional marriage values, often in conservative circles, what that means is a wife working at home, doing the laundry, dishes, and taking care of the kids while the husband is off, you know, getting the bacon, right? That's what traditional marriage means. What we're after this morning is biblical marriage. So don't confuse cultural conservative marriage, right, the 1950s, with biblical marriage, right? There's nothing wrong from a biblical perspective of a wife working and the the husband staying at home. Nothing wrong with that, all right? From a biblical perspective. Now, culturally, in traditional parts of America, it might be an issue, but But we're not talking about that. We're talking about what does the Bible say the role of a husband and a wife is in the context of marriage and the local church? We'll we'll give you a moment to answer your phone (laughs) while I embarrass you. I'm sorry. I don't often do that, but I felt I'm in a bad mood, I guess. Sorry. I'm sorry. What we want to think about this morning is what the Bible teaches about marriage and about the family. Now, I want to make a note here to you this morning. I want you to look in your Bibles for just a moment. I want you to turn back. If you have your Bibles open, I want you to turn to Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 1. Now, I'm not going to preach through this, but I do want just want to show you something here. Because I remember a number of years ago, I preached a sermon on marriage. And this really sweet little lady after church came to me and said, Pastor, that was a great sermon, but here's the problem. Nobody in this church but like two people are married. And she was right. But what I want to show you here is that a sermon on marriage isn't only for married people. A sermon on marriage isn't only for those who aspire to be married. When Paul, under the inspiration of the Spirit of God, picked up the pen to to pen this letter, I want you to see, look here, chapter 1, verse 1, who did he write it to? To the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. In other words, this letter is written to the church. He didn't write a separate letter to the married folks. He didn't write a separate marriage to the people who have children. He didn't write a separate letter to those who were slaves. He didn't write a separate letter to those who were managers and bosses. No, he wrote the letter to the church. In other words, every individual who is a member of a church has the responsibility to uphold the biblical view of marriage. It is your responsibility as a member of this church to know what the Bible teaches about marriage and to defend it, to teach it, and to exhort others to obey it. So whether you're single in 20 or a widow in 80, you have a responsibility 
to uphold the biblical view of marriage. And so this morning, you thought, wow, he's going to preach on marriage. I can tune him out. But if you are a Christian and a member of this church, you, brother, you, sister, have a responsibility to know what marriage is, lest it becomes distorted. You have a responsibility to exhort wives and husbands to obey God in these ways. Friends, we've been studying through this letter, and we've been thinking about what it means to follow Christ using that metaphor that Paul's been using about walking in light of this new light, walking as children of light. And as as we walk as children of light, we've learned that it doesn't just affect our hearts, but our relationships. And in this section, what Paul's begun to do is get into this kind of the, I don't know, the uncomfortable areas of life, right? The, the, the areas of life we don't often talk about. Marriage. How we're doing loving our wives. How are we doing loving our husbands? How, how, how is the relationship with our children? Uh, children, how are we doing uh, obeying our parents? Bosses and managers, how are you doing leading in your workplaces? Employers, how are you doing in your jobs. We often neglect to see the connection between the gospel of Jesus Christ and how we relate to one another. But as we read our Bibles, we see it's very important. And so let's turn now and consider what Paul, under the Spirit of God, has to say to us as a church. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22. We'll address wives Mostly this week, husbands next week, children, and so on. Paul writes, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and he himself the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Paul here articulates the role of a wife and a husband in relationship to one another in the covenant bonds of marriage. Paul clearly teaches in this passage that wives willingly submit to the the servant leadership of their husband. And as they do this, this is an important point, That as wives willingly and graciously submit to the servant leadership of their husband, they display the gospel of Jesus Christ. They display the church's submission to Christ. In all of this, Paul is, is arguing that the marriage, the institution of marriage, which is grounded in creation, that God created marriage ultimately as a foreshadow of his own son's relationship to the church. It stands to wonder, doesn't it, why the enemy would want to attack marriage. You see, if you distort marriage, you distort the role of a husband and a wife, you you distort and you divide, all of that reflects upon Christ's relationship to his church. 
For example, if a husband is unwilling to sacrificially love his bride, then he's saying that Christ is unwilling to sacrificially love his bride. And then if a wife is unwilling to submit to the loving care of her husband, then the church is unwilling to submit to Christ as head. So again, the purpose of these next two sermons is to teach us from the Bible what a godly marriage looks like. And Paul here outlines five aspects to a wife's submission to their husband. Now you're scared, five points, that sounds really long. Um, It won't be, trust me, but there are five, all right? So if you take notes, we have five aspects to a wife's submission to their husband. First, notice that wives are submit to submit to their own husbands. Second, wives submit as to the Lord. So think about the nature of that. Third, wives are to submit because the husband is the head of the wife. So we'll sort of get the foundation, the reason. Fourthly, wives are to submit as the church submits to Christ. Christ, the church, that relationship being the model. Fifth and finally, wives are to submit in every area of life. Every area of life. Well, these are the five points we, we want to look at. First, verse 22. Look with me there. Wives, submit to your own husbands. Wives, submit to your own husbands. Paul turns here and exhorts wives. He calls them out. This is kind of the first time he's done this in the letter to, 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 to highlight one particular group in the congregation. But he'll do this through the series. Notice the parallelism here. Uh, between children obey and slaves obey or servants obey. He begins each of these uh, more subservient roles and he says wives, children, servants. And then follows up uh, the second half of the parallel, husbands, parents, bosses. So we're going to see this sort of parallel nature that he's setting up here, the structure of it. All of which is to emphasize the relationship of Christ and his church. Here Paul wants to make clear that wives are not to submit to every male or to every husband, but to their own husband, right? Now it's sad we have to make that emphasis, but, but frankly there are churches that are a little skewed in this particular area. And so we want to make clear, right? Uh, what the Bible teaches, that wives are to submit to their own husbands. Now that word submit, as, I, as we've said last week, we saw it first. Look, look back just, just a bit to verse 21. Paul gave a general exhortation, which then was a transitional sort of point. Verse 21, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. So he gave this sort of general exhortation, submit to one another. And we talked about that that word submission, Paul is borrowing from the military world, right? He's, he's in, a, in essence, what he's after here isn't authoritarianism, dictator, but rather order. Just as in a, in a military, there's order, there are generals, and then, you know, there's captains, and there's lieutenants, and then there's, you know, the, the soldiers underneath, right? There's order, 
There's structure. And so the point that Paul is making here isn't one of lordship, but rather one of order. That wives are equal to their husbands because they are created in the image of God, but that there are roles and order to the relationship. Now, in our culture, you've been brought up mostly, now some of our older sisters and brothers in here probably not so much, but, but if you've been around for the last 50 years uh, or less, uh, you've been brought up in a culture that is adverse to authority. You, you are taught that authority is bad, that authority is wrong. That, it, that if someone has too much authority, they will necessarily become a dictator. Um, and so since we've been brought up to be adverse to submitting to any form of authority and kind of naturally being rebellious, right? I mean, frankly, that's, that's the American experience, isn't it? At the heart of being an American is to be rebellious, right? Uh, we, we are the rebellious ones. We are the ones that like, we were done with the king and we're out. We're going to do our own thing, right? And so culturally, we are always trying to rebel. Well, you begin to unite two people together, what's going to happen? You're going to rebel, right? There's going to be rebellion. The aspect here, though, as we heard in our statement of faith, is one of equality, but one of order. That the wife has a certain relationship to her husband, and that is one of subordination. But subordination does not mean that she is devalued or less than. I'll be honest with you, there are many things that my wife can do way better than I can do. But there's order. More than that, the word that Paul uses here is one of free and voluntary. Just as one would freely enroll themselves into the military, right? So if you go and enlist in the military, and you go, and you go to boot camp, you go through that whole thing, and you get your first assignment, and you go to your commanding officer, and you say to them, I'm not going to listen to you. One... It is not going to be good for you, man. It is not, right? They're going to tell you. They're, they're going to sit you down. And they're going to show you a piece of paper that you said you are willingly and voluntarily. Like, that's the first thing that they get out of the way. They want to make sure that no one is coercing you, not your parents, not the, 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 uh, the police. No one is coercing you to join the military. It's like it's right there on the dotted line, okay? And they're going to say, you willingly signed up to this particular role, right? Well, we want to be careful with our illustrations. Uh, we don't want to uh, take that to marriage and say, okay, the wife is enlisting in some sort of military service. But the idea here is one of voluntarily and free. The idea of submission here is not one of totalitarianism. Or dictatorship. It's not one who has supreme rule in bossing. So it's not the dude sitting on the couch and the wife getting in potato chips. That is not what this means. If that's going on, it's not the idea. It's an assignment. It's a role 
that has been assigned by your creator, by which you will be held accountable. I want you to notice what he doesn't say in this text. Wives, submit to your awesome husband, your amazingly loving husband, even your Christian husband. We heard that earlier, didn't we, in Peter's exhortation? Wives, be subject to your own husbands so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives. Oh, we're going to go to heaven. We're going to hear some stories about men who are converted under the patient, submissive spirit of their wife. We're going to see souls in heaven that don't deserve to be there because of that loving, submissive spirit, patiently praying for the conversion of their husband, all the while not being rebellious, all the while being subject. Submission in a biblical context should be a responsibility to be embraced not an attitude to fear. Wives, you should see it as as an assignment given to you by your Lord and Savior. You uh, You should approach it with that kind of fervor and enjoyment that I've been assigned this role. As we think about the word submission... It's not really a bad word in many ways, if we think about it. We're told that Christ submits the will of the Father. How can that be bad? The point remains, though, that wives are to to submit to their own husbands. Not to every male, but to their own husbands. Well, Paul continues to flesh out what he means by submitting. In other words, that directional aspect of submitting. What's the ultimate aim of a wife's submission to their husband? Is it merely to please their husband? Is it merely to impress their husband? Notice here what he says. We can't miss the second aspect. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. As to the Lord. Like or as. In the same way you submit to Christ, submit to your husbands. In other words, what Paul means is is that your submission to your husband is an act of worship to your Savior. That your ultimate allegiance is not merely to your husband, but to Jesus. And that one of the ways that you obey Jesus, one of the ways you worship Jesus, one of the ways you serve Jesus is through your obedient submission to your husband. As Paul writes to the church in Colossae, wives submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Regardless of your husband's worthiness, Christ will always be worthy. Therefore, submit with such aim in mind. The manner in which wives submit would be the same manner that they would submit to Christ. So think this morning with me, wife. 
Can you honestly say that you would speak to Jesus the way you speak to your husband? Wives, would you honestly speak about Jesus the way you speak about your husband? Sister, how are you tempted to be a rebellious voice rather than a submissive spirit? Again, we're not talking about you being a doormat. Those are perversions of this good biblical teaching. How do you see good models of submission? Wives willingly following their husbands. I think of, I think of our sister Alice, honestly, who frankly probably didn't want to travel all over the United States every time her husband had to move every few years. Boy, I bet she might have liked to settle into one town and, you know, just do life there. But, but in a submissive, godly, Christ-like, followed her husband and set up camp wherever that camp was. As a model of Christ-likeness. So many examples we have before us of, of wives submitting of wives living with their, their husbands in an understanding way and caring for them and loving for them and, and building them up. Wives, you know that sometimes your rebelliousness makes it kind of hard to lead. Who wants to lead people who don't want to follow? That's frankly not fun at all. Trust me, I'm a pastor. I know how that feels. Could it be maybe your husband's neglect is because of your unwillingness to submit? Submission does not mean that you don't have a voice. Submission does not mean that, you know, he just makes all the decisions and you just go with it. That doesn't mean that at all. It means you have a voice, but at the end of the day, you trust his care for you. You trust his leadership. An extension of your own submission to Christ is your willing submission to your husband's loving leadership. And this leads us to the third aspect we see that wives are to submit because the husband is the head of the wife. Look there in verse 23. He begins with the word for. The word is a causal word. It means because. For or because. The husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. Paul grounds this exhortation of submission to husbands in the relationship of Christ and the church. He says, because the husband is the head of the wife. This word headship or head. To be a head means that you're in charge, doesn't it? Your head's in charge of your body, all right? Your head, someone of higher status, superior rank. Paul uses this word to refer to a husband's relationship to his wife and to Christ's relationship to his church. Again, this is relationship. It's order. 
It does not mean that the wife doesn't have leadership ability. It doesn't mean that she can't make decisions. What it means is that there is structure. We know that when there is no leadership, what results is, right, chaos. And Christ has ordered his church and marriage in a particular way. This is where you and I need to trust the goodness of God. So this morning, if you're struggling here with headship, you're struggling with this aspect of submission, these exhortations, what, where you need to be praying is not here. You need to back up a little bit because there's a piece that you're really struggling with, and that's the goodness of God. The rightness of God. That God knows best. That God knows the right way. You see, that's, that's as old as Eve, right? Who thought she knew a better way. That, that she thought that she could go her own way. And Adam himself advocating that. The roles were reversed, weren't they? And what happened? Adam was supposed to be the leader. He was the one that was supposed to provide and protect his wife. But what did he do? He willingly followed her rather than leading and protecting and caring. He let let her make that awful decision. That is why Adam was punished more than Eve. Because it was Adam's fault. He was the one that should have been making that decision. He's the one that was the head of the home, the leader in that family. And he advocated his role. And the enemy subverted him by going after his wife. And that's been the enemy's trick since the beginning. The enemy has really limited resources. He's not that smart. He attacks in the same way as he did in the Garden of Eden. In the home. Some liberal scholars have argued that this word headship means source. That the, that the wife comes from the husband. But clearly that is not what Paul means from this passage. Because he uses this word back in chapter 1 and verse 22. And I want you to see it. Because it, it was a theological point he made that he's building on today. Chapter 1 and verse 22, in that grand prayer that he has, he he exclaims and and ends this prayer in verse 22 of chapter 1 and says, And and God put all things under Jesus' feet and gave Jesus as head over all things to the church. Head. He is the supreme ruler of the church. Christ is the head of the church. And so the husband is the head of the the wife. We are so accustomed to thinking about words like headship and submission. As filthy, hurtful, and harmful. But let's be honest for a moment. How has Christ demonstrated his headship over the church. He came, incarnate, died for our sin, 
Look back in chapter 5 and the verses we'll consider next week. Christ loved the church. He gave himself up for the church. He sanctified the church. He cleansed us, washing us. But more than that, look at journey 27, that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she, the church, might be holy and without blame. Apparently, headship is not as bad as our culture makes it out to be. Think about submission for a moment. When you submit to the speed limit, you don't die. That's a really good thing, isn't it? When you don't drive down the interstate at 100 miles an hour, but you willingly and respectfully submit that, you know, some really smart people probably thought 70 is a good speed, not 100. Must be some science behind this, maybe. See, we submit in our lives in so many ways that are good. So we've got to like reprogram ourselves. In marriage, we've got to reprogram ourselves to understand that a husband's leadership in the home is not bad, but good. And every wife in here who has ever experienced a home where the husband's not the head will amen that every single time. I know many sisters because of their husband's sinful foolishness have to lead their homes so many times they are given in because of the sin of those around them so many times we've seen sisters trying to willingly and prayerfully submit respectfully to their husbands all the while these bumbling fools if they will Throughout our passage, we've seen that wives are to submit, but husbands, I want to exhort you here for just a moment. Look here, that husbands are the head of the wife. To take on the role and responsibility and accountability of headship requires an immense responsibility for which you will take an account for. Wives, I want you to to rest assured of this truth. That Paul is making. While he's exhorting you. He is making very clear to husbands. Their responsibility. And their accountability. Before King Jesus. Wives rest assured. That every, in every way your husbands fail. Or have failed. They will answer to Jesus for that. Husbands you are to lead your wife. As a servant leader, Jesus was no Lord over his flock, but a servant leader who lovingly cared, as we'll think about more in the next week. Husbands, it is a fearful thing to stand before Jesus and to take an account as the head of your wife and home. Well, this leads us next to the fourth aspect we see here, that wives are to submit as the church submits to Christ. In other words, there's a relationship between the church's submission to Christ and a husband and wife's relationship in the home. Well, how has the church submitted to Christ? We've been exhorted over the last few weeks to obey him. Uh, We've to to obey him. But more than that, submission means accepting love, care, 
protection, and provision. To submit to someone means that you accept their loving care for your life. Godly marriages, marriages that endure, are marriages where there is a nurturing of protection, provision, and care. That's how love is worked out, right? A husband's care for his wife, protection and provision. This is the way the church submits to Christ, is it not? We seek Christ and his care for us, the Spirit's provision in our lives, the Father's protection and sustaining work. Paul here is illustrating in verse 23 what wives are to look to as an example. Church, how are we doing submitting to Christ? You see how when a church corporately is not following Christ, how it has a detrimental effect upon marriage and family? There's a relationship between the health of a church and the health of the home. And so as a congregation, we want to constantly evaluate as a model for marriages how we are following Christ. How we are obeying him. Well, the final exhortation we see here in verse 24. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Well, if the word submission and the word headship didn't get you all riled up, that phrase in everything probably will you know, kind of do you in. In everything? Well, it says everything. And the word means everything. So I guess so. See, this preaching thing's not that hard, is it? <laughs> what is Paul after here? Well, if you've got any sense, you've already come to the conclusion, well, he must not mean in everything, meaning sin, goes without saying, doesn't it? Wives, you are not to submit if your husband is calling you to sin. Why? Because look at what he says all the way back that we are to obey God, right? That the, he's already exhorted us to do the will of the Lord, right? Verse 17 of chapter 5, Therefore do not be a fool, but understand what the will of the Lord is. So wives have already been exhorted to do the will of God. Therefore, if their husbands exhort them to do anything that's contrary to the will of God, they have free reign and free license to disobey. Okay, So I, I feel like we just have to be really clear in our age, right? We are not saying that, that a wife must blindly follow their husband in sin. Not what we're saying. Nor what in everything means. What Paul is after here is that in every aspect of life, in every area that you and I live in, whether it be our finances, our spiritual care, whether it be our jobs, our relationships to our parents, husbands and wives, wives particularly are to submit to their husband. I've sat and listened to wives and the way they talk about Perhaps the way discipline is handled in the home. 
Perhaps it's the wife that's left to always discipline, or the, the husband always is, right? There are so many ways, and, and I don't want to be so specific, we miss the point. Is there an area, an aspect of your life where you know the Spirit has been convicting you that you've not been living in true submission to your husband? Because we're sinful beings and we do desire to live autonomous lives apart from God and others, there are areas in our life where we kind of keep to ourselves and we say, you know, I don't want to submit in this particular area. I don't want to be cared for in this particular area. A wife should be involved in all areas of life, in decision-making process. But the husband has a particular responsibility. Wife, how are you perhaps undermining your husband's responsibility? How are you taking away his God-given responsibilities and assuming them for yourselves? Husbands, how are you advocating your role as a head of the home and allowing your wife to do everything and you do nothing? While we're not to submit in all ways that lead to sin, wives are to be exhaustive in their submission to their own husbands. The Bible paints, I think, a very vivid picture of what many of us experience in our marriages. In the Proverbs particularly, a godly wife is exhorted and an ungodly one is warned against. In Proverbs 12, Solomon writes, A wife of noble character is her husband's crown. But a wife who causes shame is like rottenness in the bones. A man who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. A house and wealth are inherited from fathers, but a prudent wife is from the Lord. Better to live on the corner of a roof than to share a house with a nagging wife. Amen. Better to live in a wilderness than with a nagging and hot-tempered wife. Better to live on the corner of a roof, again, Solomon couldn't get past that, than to share a house with a nagging wife. Or an endless dripping on a rainy day. And a nagging wife are alike. But he concludes with this. Who can find a wife of noble character? She is far more precious than jewels. Women, you have an immense responsibility. More precious than jewels, Solomon says. Husbands do well to respect you in such a way, to treat you in such a way, and for you to submit to their godly leadership, all for the glory of Christ. Now, if you think Paul expects a lot of wives, wait till next week to hear what he has to say about husbands. Let's pray. Father, we pray this this day as we think about these things. Lord, that a better sermon was heard than the one preached. One the Spirit preaches as we hear your word. 
Help us to grow in likeness to Christ for your glory and our good. In his name we pray. Amen.